everybody. Welcome to episode 30 of the podcast that goes snicked. Can't believe we're already on 30. Anyway, this episode, Denise comes back to join us as we'll talk about Wolverine number three. And then I'll talk about some other comics too, because that's how we roll here on the podcast that goes snicked about comics. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to it. All right, here we go. Talk about Wolverine number three. Snicked. Snicked. Yes. <laughs> um, so Wolverine number three is Hunting Season Part Three of Four. It is written by Paul Cornell with pencils by Alan Davis, inks by Mark Farmer, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And then Davis, Farmer, and Hollingsworth did the cover. And there's a variant cover by Ed McGinnis, which I think for the first time, the variant cover is not in the back, so I don't know what it looks like. McGinnis is cool, so it's probably a good cover, but I haven't seen it. I have, however, seen this cover, and I liked it quite a bit. What do you think about it, Denise? So uh, he had to laugh because my first thought was, damn Wolverine short. Yes, but he is short, so it's okay. Yeah, but so you had told me that Wolverine's supposed to be what, 5'5"? Five, 5'5", five? Five, five, yeah. Okay, so that makes the guy standing next to him not that much taller. Yeah, I was a little, actually a little bit surprised with that, but I guess it did that just so the cover wouldn't look, look awkward. It already looks awkward. They look like they're spooning. <laughs> he fits into his nook. <laughs> <coughs> Maybe they'll spoon after the mission. Possibly. <coughs> Some post-mission spooning. No, but I, I think the cover's really good. Uh, Nick Fury Jr. I'm not really sure what this old-school gun he has is, but he's, but he's kind of got like an eat-shit grin on his face, and Wolverine's kind of smirking. And I'm a fan of the, the white background. It's very clean. Yeah, I don't know. It, just, it looks really cool. Like they're doing a, almost looks like they're doing a photo shoot together. It does sort of look like they're having engagement pictures done. I've seen photo shoots in white backgrounds. I've never seen an engagement photo with a white background. Like um, babe, we took engagement photos and we were on a white wall. Yeah, but it wasn't like the white room or the white sheet. No, but same pose. Anyway, regardless, I think it's a really cool cover. I like it quite a bit. And the art's pretty fantastic. I, my only issue with it is Wolverine looks like he's 12. How do you... I don't think so. 
Oh, I do. He Maybe has, it's just because I was disappointed in the fact that Wolverine's only 5'5". Five five. He has scruff. No, it's something else. I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, I just feel like... There's nothing his, to put your finger on. No, whatever. <laughs> I just feel like he kind of looks like he's 12. All right. Well, I disagree. I think he looks awesome. All right. Well, let's jump right into the story. Remember, um, we're trying to figure out what's going on with this gun. The alien space gun. So I, Question mark? I, I have to stop here. and okay. I, It's funny because I thought I was going to come and have to say, well, I have to retract my last claw rating because I got really excited when you sent me a message and said Wolverine was in. And then I had to realize, well, I'm not really excited about Wolverine himself. I'm more excited about what's going to happen with the big old baby. <laughs> the Watcher, yes. Yes, the baby in a toga. Yes. All right. So, um, and speaking of the Watcher, uh, not to give away my feelings on this issue too early, but I'm going to pretty much start griping out of the gate. Okay. All right. So, um, we had this first page. All right. Now, I'm a little bit torn on this, and so maybe you can help me out because you would be. Kind of the... The Wolverine virgin? No, not anymore. You've done two whole issues. But, um... <laughs> but, um... Is that like a threesome? No, 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 no. <laughs> stop. Um, <laughs> but, um... When you are a fairly new reader, and you, you're you one of the readers that they hope they would get, even though I, I kind of got it for you. But anyway, when they get a new number one, like I said, we talked about this, part of the goal is to get new readers. So... In theory, Marvel is hoping there's a lot of people who are on their third issue of Wolverine, just like you. Okay. Right? So you're a good demographic for this. Okay. So on the one hand, I understand this conversation on the first page as exposition to kind of explain the Watcher, pretty much the same stuff I told you last time. Right. However, I... I think it's kind of lame that we had the big last page with the reveal of the Watcher. And remember, if you don't remember, that's one of the reasons that I was more excited about that issue than you were. Because you were kind of disappointed because the kid was gone. But I was excited. I was excited because the Watcher showed up and I knew that meant something big. Right. So they kind of talk about this on the page. But instead of showing the Watcher again or giving any indication of what the big thing is, they just have an argument about why the Watcher's there, and then it gets dropped. So I was pretty disappointed in that. It did make me feel like the Watcher wasn't a big deal. Right. Like, it it, it was more of an afterthought. Right. Sort of like, ooh, I have a bad feeling in my stomach. Oh, it passed. It was gas. <laughs> it was gas. The Watcher was gassing. Yes. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm sure we'll see. I mean, we still have part four of four coming up. So I'm sure we'll see some of that. But I felt like. Okay, but not to. All right, well, I'll wait until we get to the end. Uh, Well, okay, so to your point, I have to admit this, uh, spoiler spoiler alert for those out there, if you've never read Wolverine, this issue frustrated me. 
immensely. It cracked me up, it pissed me off, and it confused me all at the <laughs> same time. And partially because I think going into it, they're assuming that people know certain backgrounds about X-Men, Wolverine, Avengers, whatever. And so they make references like you're supposed to know things and you don't know Jack. Hey, we'll point some of that as we get to it. Cause I actually okay. thought they did a good job of explaining most of that. Okay. Like with the Watcher stuff. So did you not think the, the Watcher explanation was... To be honest, the woman with the scalpel was scarier than the conversation <laughs> that they were having. Okay. So it, it was confusing, I get, like in a spur of the moment. They're trying to play this up as we're having an argument. This person walks in. We got to take this thing out so you can't argue about it anymore. Let's just get it done. Right. So I got that, but I still kind of felt lost as to what is a watcher. Okay. All right. So they, so in your opinion, as a new reader, they did not do a very good job. Even though Wolverine talked about what it meant, it didn't, it didn't really sink in. No. Okay. All right. Okay, so we meet the the lady with the scalpel, and I guess I guess it's just the part of town you're in where you can you don't have to wait till you get inside to pull the scalpel out. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe it's, it's just a, maybe it's just the fact that she's with an agent of Shield. She she doesn't have to worry about a suspicious behavior. Um. Anyway, they go inside. And of course, Nick Fury's worried about the bullet. And Wolverine's arm, and Wolverine's worried about the Watcher and why he's here. And then Mrs. Frankenstein goes into the bar. They go into. So that's really her name. I believe so. Yeah. The Mar- Marvel and DC both have their own separate, like Frankenstein family lore. So this is like a descendant of Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah. Kind of dumb, but that's yeah, yeah that's what it is. But honestly, she doesn't really do anything, so I don't really care. <laughs> I I thought it was a passing joke, and then then I just thought it was stupid. Right. Now, I thought the little... Well, we'll get to it in a second. But um. anyway, so we have a superhero-themed bar. Which cracks me up. I thought that was cool. That was hilarious. Because I'm it's, sorry. It's like, we got the police bar, and then we got the crazy bar, and then we have the mutant bar. Well, that, but that's how it is, in a way. I mean... Do you have friends that are police officers? Well, the neighbor's a police officer. All right, well, I don't know. I don't know what he does. But I remember uh, coming out of college, I had some friends that were on the police force, and there's not like a police-themed bar. It's not like the badge, you know, or whatever. But they definitely had their places they hung out, like, together. And, and you see that in the movies, too, especially in a movie in New York or Boston. There's always, like, the bar where all the policemen hang out. Cheers, where everybody knows your name. <laughs> Not exactly, but yes. Anyway, and then, you know, in, in real life, you have themed pubs, you have sports bars, whatever. So it makes sense that if superheroes are real and as out there as they are in the Marvel Universe, that there would be places not only where they can hang out, but there's probably also bars for regular people that celebrate superheroes. So I thought it was cool. I but thought I, I it think fits in the Marvel universe. To I me. think it's hilarious because it's a superhero themed bar. So, you know, they got pictures of Spider-Man, Hulk. Uh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Nightcrawler, Luke Cage. And honestly, I don't know who the girl that Nick Fury's uh, 
staring at Lusting after, yeah. Yeah. He's but, touching it. He's caressing it with his hand. But what I think is like, hilarious oh, is, mamacita. is it's like, this is a pub for people in our line of work. Okay, his line of work, you got these crazy people off in the background. Wolverine's on a pool table. Well, he's getting operated on. Which I thought I did. He's got a bottle in his hand for, you would think, you know, if Dr. Frankenstein, whatever her name is, brought all <laughs> Frankenstein. this. Whatever. Brought all this points stuff. points out phonetically. Yes. Brings all this stuff to operate on, and she can't give him a local. He doesn't want a local. Wolverine's a, a cowboy type. Have you ever seen? You've seen. You've seen it in movies. Could, they could at a least. A guy's cutting the a bullet ball. out, and, and Sam Elliott's laying on the table, and he's got a bottle of whiskey. You know, or, this, this is this is a tough guy way to get your bullet taken out of your arm. You get a bottle of whiskey, you drink something, you pour it over the wound when it's done. You know, Sam Elliott, Kurt Russell. Um, who else would do that? Idiots. What? Idiots. <laughs> you apparently have no respect for the modern action hero. <laughs> you give a baby with no local and tell me how it feels. <laughs> so anyway, we turn the page and... He's going through his list of crazies. Oh, yes, but also, who's back? Oh, Lieutenant Tomato. <laughs> Detective Tomato, yes. And I think she's drinking tomato juice. You think so? Okay, maybe so. Anyway, yes, we meet a Wolverine's supporting cast for the issue, and we have his uh, his superhero bookie, his comic book writer, um, his superhero cataloger, and uh, the lady that owns the company that cleans up collateral damage caused by superheroes. I have to admit, I do like how this panel is drawn, how it's one panel, but they've kind of divvied it up among the four people. Yeah, yeah, I thought the layout was cool. That it's That's really cool. So anyway, they pull the, the magic bullet out, and they put it in a magic jar. Okay, it kind of looks like a bean. The bullet? Yeah. It looks like a a, a gel cap pill, I thought. Oh, see, my first thought was it looked like a sperm had impenetrated an egg. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then it looked like a bean, a giant pink bean. I don't see either of those. A jelly bean, maybe. Uh, no, no. It looks like a piece of edamame, only bright pink. Okay. Anyway, they put it in the magic jar and... Okay, this cracks me up. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, skipping ahead above the magic jar and the magic bean. But Wolverine has a box of extra uniforms behind yeah, the bar. Yeah, he, he talked about it in the first issue. Yeah, he, how he said he had a uniform. Yeah, well, he already went and got one. Right. And now he's coming back for number two. And that's a really big box. <laughs> I like the floor in the bar. Yeah, it's very retro. I think it's pretty cool. I'd hang out at that bar. But what I think's funny is why... So they don't... Wolverine, obviously, and Dr. Frankenstein doesn't know what the bean is. is so it, they're inviting... It's a hollow bullet. Okay. Well, they're inviting these people... Wolverine's friends. Yes, to come take a gander at it. And I'm pretty sure that none of those people have ever seen anything like this. No, and, but they're superhero specialists of a sort. So... He's just going to give it a, a chance and see what they can find. Well, I will say this is part of the comic that kind of started to crack me up 
because right. Wolverine's in the bar and says, so anyone see anything like this before? And while we're at it, who wants a beer? <laughs> well, that's just classic Wolverine. Well, yeah, but it, it just, the whole laying on the pool table with a bottle of green substance, getting something ripped out of your arm, pulling out a uniform in the bag, and, and then asking everyone if they want a beer, just kind of made me laugh. All right, so we go to Willett's Point in Queens, and the gun comes back to its mind-controlled friends, and they know S.H.I.E.L.D.'s tracking it, but it doesn't matter after tomorrow. Dun-dun-dun! What is tomorrow? I don't know. Honestly, by the time we get to the end of this, I don't really care. So anyway, the, uh, the guys at the bar, we go back to the bar, they're arguing over what the bullet is. Nick Fury gives Wolverine a hard time about how he's such a loner, but he he has yet another little group of friends that are doing his dirty work for him. And Wolverine kind of smirks at him and says, I never said I was a loner. I never said I was anything. I like people. Of course, a play on the fact that anytime you read about Wolverine, it always talks about Wolverine, the loner hero, but he's on a bajillion teams. (laughs) So, so I thought that was kind of a cool like inside joke to make fun of that. Um, now, this is where it, it started to get frustrating for me. Okay, why is that? Because Fury says, why not take this to S.H.I.E.L.D. or to the Avengers or to your school? And my first thought was, well, I wonder if they're talking about Professor X's school. But I happened to be listening to one of your other podcasts. And realize that Wolverine has his own school? Yes, in Professor X's memory. Professor X is dead. Okay, yeah, see? Frustrating part. Everything that I, or I should say, what little that I know of X-Men and Wolverine is completely thrown out the window, and yet it's not really explained. Right, okay, so they did kind of drop the ball on that one. So it, it... this is sort of, this is where it started to get frustrating for me. Okay, I can see that. I didn't think it was funny how he said he doesn't take potential mind control attacks near my kids. Or, you know, Thor. Because the last thing he wants is some evil entity taking over Thor and destroying the whole city. Well, and that's, who's Thor? You know who Thor is. He's a god, Norse god of thunder. He has the big hammer. Right, but again... Where does he fit in? He's an Avenger. He was in the Avengers movie. Didn't see it. Oh, we got to fix that. Told me I couldn't see it until I saw Iron Man. That's true. We got to fix all that. (laughs) (laughs) You got some fixing to do. I got some fixing. Right. Well, I I like this scene of Nick Fury and Wolverine running out the bar. The hover car has told Nick Fury on his wristband where the gun has landed. So they run off into action. I like Wolverine pulling his cowl on and Nick Fury checking his wristband and they, they take off. Then so they get in the Hummer car. I like the, the call back to the title too. It says, because we're going hunting. Get it? Because it's hunting season. Uh-huh. Right, all right. <laughs> so anyway, they they go to a, a pharmaceutical company and Nick Fury has a little bit of intel on this place. They are suspected of selling body-altering pharmaceuticals to people like the Hellfire Club or AIM, and those are bad guy organizations. Again, okay, all right. frustration. 
And Wolverine's kind of sarcastic and says, Charming, let me know when we're over the target. I thought this was cool. The little interchange about Nick Fury asking him if he's going to jump. Wolverine's like, Dude, I'm made out of metal. I can't jump and sneak up on anybody. Okay, so they explained this, and I thought they did a great job of how they explained why he just can't jump on top of a building. Right. And yet they couldn't explain the rest? Well, I guess... Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm kind of glad. <laughs> I mean, then the conversation gets too, like, awkward. Wordy. Yeah, it's like... Well, you know, we suspect they sell body-altering farms to Hellfire, Club, AIM, and other villainous groups. <laughs> you know, or, or how can you didn't ask the Avengers or the X-Men or the school? You know, the school where you teach now the Professor X has died? Like, <laughs> like, we don't want that either. No, so. I see your point, but I, I think there are better ways to have worded it to okay I'm, I agree and disagree with you like, I, I see both sides so. just like we agree to disagree on ranch dressing well no because we actually agree to disagree whereas this I actually I agree with you but also I agree with the other side so anyway just <laughs> but overall uh, the art and this these middle two pages I thought was really good and the colors, again, to uh, Hollingsworth. I like the little sunset behind the city and, and the lights around the headlights look really cool. I, I do like this panel because it's mostly blue. Yeah. And so it sort of reminds me like, it just gives the feeling that right now Wolverine is in control because they're very much Wolverine colors. Okay. So right. I, I sort of feel like they're trying to give you a, they're trying to lure you into a sense of, we got this. It's a piece of cake. Wolverine does this all the time. So on and so forth. I also really like the panel where he gets to the elevator and the light, the way it shines pink kind mm-hmm. of through the whole panel. That was cool. And when, of course, we get our first snicked of the book. I think it's our only snicked of the book. And not entirely sure because it doesn't show his whole hand, but I think he's sporting a middle claw for you, babe. That's awesome. <laughs> and I do have to say, though, one minor nitpick. I've never slid down an elevator cable. But I'm pretty sure you would want to wrap your legs around it, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wolverine's kind of like, he's got his hands, both hands on the cable, and he's sliding down. And his legs are just kind of kicked out into space. Well, maybe he just jumped. So he okay. hasn't completely wrapped So he hasn't wrapped the legs it. yet? Yeah. Right. I, I can buy that. All right, so we get in, and the pharmaceutical company has some really stupid-looking security, like... Yeah, what is up Robots? with this? They're I, covered in pink goo and a giant golden yeah, dildo. What? I don't know whether to boy. Yeah, I've I've said a lot of good things about Alan Davis's art. I don't think these look cool. They're, Besides the fact that they're kind of not cool, I don't think they look cool. And I don't know if he designed them or Cornell told him how to design them, but. Wherever, wherever this came from, it can go back, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> anyway, they're, they're the security force, and they're going to try to take Wolverine down. Of course, they can't. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. We get another snick. Yes. And these guards kind of shoot at each other, and Wolverine tells them that they're... Oh, I do like... I really like this part, because in both the first two issues, 
we have situations where Wolverine plays the Avengers card. Yes. And here he tries to play the Avengers card and gets shot at. I thought that was really funny. That I did laugh at that one. So anyway, Wolverine makes short work of the guards. And they try to blast him. I really like this panel at the bottom of this page where you see the guy's eye through his pink uh, visor and then you see Wolverine's reflection coming out of claws extended and even has a little bit of fang action. Anyways, Wolverine's flying at the guy and you see it reflected in his uh, visor. It looks really cool. It does look cool. And the pink shading and everything. So Wolverine continues to take out the guards and um, he, they decide he's going to follow him. We, we find a semi where all our mind-controlled people are. And uh, one of the, the mind-controlled cops pulls his gun. And the guard sticks his hands up. He's in this giant robotic armor that shoots pink lasers. And he's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And Wolverine's like, oh, this guy, you believe? That cracked me up. I thought that was really funny, too. So then Wolverine starts to take out the cop, and he still has the gun. One of the other cops has the alien gun. He shoots it and takes out the robot guard, and Wolverine just flies into the crowd and gets tackled. And he's getting uh, beaten by a mob as a semi speeds off. But then the hover car by Nick Fury is still driving, and he starts to hit the eject button. He says, yippee ki Mother lover. Yeah. <laughs> As the hover car crashes into the semi and stops it in its tracks. And so we get a nice, a really nicely drawn panel of Wolverine fighting his way out of the dog pile. And that was really funny that uh, Nick Fury Jr.'s shield badge is a giant hologram from his hand. Yeah, that confused me. I, I won't lie. I looked at that panel for a good two minutes trying to figure out what in the hell that was? Oh, <laughs> I think it was like, you know, how cops show their badge. That was his badge. But it's, they're super technologically advanced. So it's okay, a giant. he's wearing a giant, like, leotard. Well, anybody can grab a shield suit. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, they're, they're worried about the container, and then this giant stealth jet flies above it and pulls the, a crate out of the semi, and then the gun flies off after it. And Nick Fury calls into S.H.I.E.L.D. to track the plane. Wolverine says, good luck. <laughs> He's an ass. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we see later an f- industrial facility at Fort Reading. The crate is lowered through the roof and they unwrap it and it's a giant tube-looking thing. Th- this they is- call it the Industrial Incubator, which is a dumbass name for whatever this thing is. Okay, this is where the comic lost. Well, are those real? Before I before I critique it too much, is what real? I mean, are they are they taking something that exists and just using it for evil purposes? So, is an industrial incubator a real thing? Well, an incubator is a real thing, but when you add industrial, what? So it's just big. <laughs> well, I guess so. I would I just mean, say when- it's a ginormous incubator. So in theory, in real life, there could be like a government science lab that has something like this. I, I mean, I guess so. Okay, I'll buy it. It looks cool. It's, it's a nice design. It, it is a nice design, but I... I Very this sci-fi. Is, this is seriously where the comic lost me. This is where 
my my anger for the comic came into play. It was play. being kind of intentionally vague, I think. There's a master plan that they need this thing for, and we don't know what it is yet, but the way they're going to fulfill it is they're going to all line up, and they're going to slice themselves and bleed out into this incubator. Is Okay, so that is that what they're doing? Yes. I was so confused. Yeah, and he talks about it's regretful that this host body feels pain. I was talking about it's too bad we have to be in these dumb humans that hurt when they bleed to death. <laughs> so basically, he's got his hand, he's got one hand dripping. Yes, yeah, he put one arm in the hole, and this is the army cut. So he's slicing his wrist, his vein, whatever that vein is. Uh huh. And then he's, why well, he stuck his hand in the arm and apparently passed out. They do realize now, <laughs> they're not going to get a whole lot of blood that way. No, they're not. And also, like, they're, it takes a while for someone to bleed out. So I don't know why they're, they're everybody... They're off slitting their throats. Well, that, I don't know why everybody in line is already rolling up their sleeves. It makes a cool visual, but the guy that in that line, he's a good two hours from cutting his arm. <laughs> and plus, you have to move the body out of the way because only like three guys can fit their arm in that thing at the same time. So someone's going to have to clean up and then I guess somebody will come get the last guy, maybe, or I don't know. Or maybe it's they just lay on top and it acts like a cork. <laughs> I don't know. All I right. mean, technically, with an incubator, you have to keep the thing closed. Well, yeah, so, someone has to close it at some point. Right. So maybe the last guy in line who's rolling up his sleeves is really just getting ready to do some heavy lifting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, so uh, thoughts. Thoughts. Okay. Again, this episode frustrated me, pissed me off, and confused me all at the same time. Um, I'm very disappointed that The Watcher was literally three lines of copy. Because I still don't, without you explaining it to me, I don't fully understand why The Watcher's there to begin with. We don't really know And Why is Wolverine the only person who saw him? We don't know that either. Uh, and honestly, I like stories that don't give you all the answers right away. I felt like this issue gave us zero answers. And that was a part to me that kind of frustrated me. I felt like, they, I feel like there they, should have been they, some bone thrown to us somewhere. Yeah. No, but, I, I agree with that statement. Because I at least wanted something tied up. If not tied up, give me a snippet or a conclusion of what I can... Right, or, or let me know kind of... What path I'm supposed to be thinking on? Right. Like, give me give me something to, to speculate. Like, I guess that's the thing the most. Because at the end of issue one, I was super excited because I was I was thinking outside the comic. Right. Like we we put the issue down. We did the podcast. We went off, and I was still thinking about okay, I wonder what's gonna happen to this kid. What's Wolverine going to do? You know, I went to work the next day. I was typing on my computer, doing my stuff. I'm like, I wonder if Wolverine's going to have to try to kill that kid. You know? uh, see, I was more wondering, like, the baby thing. Is it just Wolverine who's seen? No, was, I'm talking about issue one. Oh, issue one. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. But to, to make my point, the same thing with issue two. You were more curious. I knew the Watcher. So we read issue two, did the podcast, set it down. The next day, I went to work, and I was thinking, man, why is the Watcher there? You were, you were thinking, why is there a big baby? That's fine. <laughs> but I was thinking, why is the Watcher there? What's going on? Man, I, 
I was still, both issue one and two, we got done, and I was thinking about the story past the comic book. To me, there's nothing in this issue like, we're going to, we read it, we're going to do this podcast, I'm going to put this in my box, and I'm probably going to forget about it until issue number four comes out. There's nothing, there's nothing for me to chew on in this issue. I, the things I think we're supposed to chew on and just didn't stick with me, I guess, the way Cornell probably intended for them to. The bullet is not intriguing enough and we didn't find out anything about it other than it's hollow. Okay, big deal. Like, I don't, I'm not going to wake up and think about, gee, I wonder what that bullet, what's going on with that? Um, the people bleeding out. I already know they're possessed by something, and I'm sure we'll figure out what it is, but nothing that progressed in this issue made me any more curious about them. If anything, I actually got a little less curious because I thought they were kind of boring. Well, I agree with all of that. You know, for me, it was frustrating because it's like, you know, I joked at the end of the second comic that it's a ginormous baby but yes when you said hey it's in my first thought was yes i get to find out about (laughs) the giant baby and so after the first page i'm like really that's it i i think i literally because again i'm on the ipad he's on the comic i think i flipped all the way to the end just to see if there was a visual of the baby in a (laughs) toka and when there wasn't i was completely disappointed that um, that's not going to be resolved. Then, you know, the the whole bar scene just kind of cracked me up. I feel like it was filler. I feel like a lot of this issue was filler. Yeah. And then the guys in the giant yellow golden dildo suits, they <laughs> they yeah. just seem like filler to me too. Yes. I You didn't find out and why not very they're covered in they're pink. They're very good. What? And not very interesting or good filler. No, and you don't know why they're covered in pink goo. Why that? Why they have to wear these things? Uh, you know, if this guy is security, then why did he give up to somebody who's not in a giant golden suit? Well, he was so, a cop, to be fair. Well, yeah, but he puts his hands up, and it, <laughs> yeah. it like he's a giant weenie. I mean, yes. it. The whole thing just didn't add up to me, and then the guy's bleeding out was confusing. It, it took me a while to figure out what they were doing. And it was funny because I thought, ooh, are we going to have zombies? <laughs> but, you know, it, I have to say that the funniest and the highlight of this comic was Fury yelling yippee Kaye." <laughs> I thought that was cheesy. I um, laughed out loud. I did too. I laughed too. It wasn't bad cheese. I just thought it was cheese. I, I just think it was the, the best thing so far that yeah. it happened throughout the entire comic. Because to me, the the bar was complete filler. Um, the 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 giant golden security guys were nothing but filler. So yeah, this one left me. It's leaving me intrigued that guys are bleeding out into a ginormous incubator. Um, kind of. But it was a very unsatisfactory issue to me. Um, I will say visually, though I I didn't care for the design of the, of the security guards. Other than that, the book still was very visually appealing. The colors and the inks and the art were all really good. And I loved the cover. I was excited when I saw the cover. I felt like the story was a little bit of a letdown. Um, 
Anything else you want to talk about before we give our ratings? Are you ready to ready to do that? Wrap it up. I I mean I I'm ready to wrap it up. All right. And what are you gonna what are you gonna rate Wolverine number three? Why don't you give your rating so I can contemplate a hair longer? <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna give it two out of three claws, but it's a very weak two, like borderline, almost. I didn't think it, I didn't hate it enough to give it a one, but I definitely am not. I don't know. It was it was a third chapter of a four part little first arc, and to me, nothing really happened. But it looked really cool for the most part. So anyway, a very weak two out of three claws for Wolverine number three. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna. I, I know you like to give overalls, and you won't let me give half claws and middle finger claws and all that stuff. So, I'm gonna break mine down into three sections. Okay, I'll get calculator out so I can give you a real score at the end. Okay, so as far as art, colored drawings, whatever. I know you didn't like the little golden security guards. Yeah, rather than that, I thought the art was great. Yeah, I give the art three out of three. Okay. Um, when it comes to the storyline, I, I give it one. Okay. In fact, if I could give it no claws. You can, if you want to. Yeah, we're going to go with no claws. Wow. Okay. Because I, I left this feeling like I didn't know. It's almost like I didn't even need to read it. (laughs) Um, All right. And then... Uh, a claw rating for how interested am I in the next one coming? I'll give it two. Just because I'm kind of hoping these guys turn into zombies. Kind of, I'm, I'm gunning for a Walking Dead crossover. Uh, probably not. It'll probably be some kind of alien. Dude. But um, when you average out to two claws a week two like me. So we pretty much gave it the same score. All right. So for those of you keeping track at home, we pretty much both gave Wolverine number three a very soft two out of three claws. It's a limp. Yes, it's two a limp. It's, and the story is kind of limping along. So let's hope that number four regains some of the excitement of number one. And we can end the story strong. Up next, we have And the X-Men. Wolverine and the X-Men number 29. Key to the Future. Written by Jason Aaron. Art by Ramon Perez. Colors by Laura Martin. Letters by V.C. Joe Caramagna. The cover is by Ramon Perez and Maury Hollowell. It's a pretty cool cover. It looks kind of like a postcard of, of the campus. The Jean Grey School all sprawled out. And it says, Greetings from the Jean Grey School of Tomorrow. And the font kind of, if a font could have a sound, this font sounds like um, an old radio serial, like, you know, the Rocketeer or uh, the Shadow or the old um, Superman serial. Anyway, if a font had a sound, this font for the Jean Grey School on the cover has that sound. And it's good to know that pigeons survived in the future. We have not Old Man Logan. That's a different story, a different future. But this future has um, uh, Wolverine and a gray hair and gray beard. And he's surrounded by pigeons. Um, all right. So basically, we have a story of not the future, because we know in the Marvel Universe, no future is the future, but a future, and how it kind of corresponds to the present. And really, more than anything else, I think this story is about Jason Aaron uh, 
kind of make, making some Easter eggs for the reader. <laughs> anyway, we start off now the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, and Logan is in a suit and tie, and he's giving a speech thanking the students for sticking it out. He basically talks about how he knows he's not really cut out for this job necessarily, but that he's giving it his all because he knows how important this school is. That the X-Men are his family. If it wasn't for Xavier's school, he would be dead or in a padded cell, he says, which is true. I do think it's funny because they, they show like a scene of most, or a good chunk of the students and faculty. And uh, most everyone's just kind of standing there and smiling laughing or looking around or whatever. But Quentin Quire is very visibly yawning. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. And fit his character. I really like Quentin Quire. Just gotta say. So we go to earlier in the Canadian Rockies. And Storm and Iceman, Beast and Wolverine are trying to hunt down Dog Logan. They found his cabin, his base of operations. And Wolverine's looking around. And they know he was there because Beast has some scanner that scans the, uh, what is it called? Uh, time distortion residue. And he detected it in the Savage Land, of course, where Dog ambushed Wolverine and his students. And that same distortion residue is all over this cabin, but no one's been there for days. Interestingly enough, Beast calls Wolverine Logan, and Logan's like, don't call me that, not right now. And then they find this old metal box. Been up there a while because it has cobwebs on it. Then we switch back to the present for a couple of panels. Wolverine talks about how the X-Men is his family. Professor X was his father. Uh, The people who are the staff now that were students when he was young are his brothers and sisters. And these students are now his children. And that scares him, and it should scare them, but... He's doing the best he can, and he says no matter what, it's worth it to try. This school matters. It's important, and, you know, just to have that family together. Then we go back. Um, <laughs> Beast somehow um, shrunk down the cabin and put it in a bubble. Kind of reminded me of Superman, like the bottle cities like Kandor. Anyway, uh, so Beast is basically cataloging all of Dog's possessions. And Wolverine's trying like hell to get in the box. He's got, he's trying to pick the lock with his claw. Wolverine, or Beast says, you just can't, we can't get in it. Wolverine's like, we have to. It's the only way to find my brother. And Beast says he's tried everything. He's tried all the science stuff. He tried shrinking and getting in there himself. Kitty couldn't phase through it. It's probably some weird metal from the future and it's unopenable. <laughs> so Wolverine, in a somewhat awkward-looking panel, tries to just slash it with his claws very angrily. And B says, your enthusiasm for opening the box is duly noted, Wolverine. And then Beast gets on to him for uh, not telling anybody about his family. Now, in the past, they can just assume that Wolverine didn't know. And that, you know, if someone shows up and attacks and says he's his brother... Well, Wolverine doesn't have his memories, so I I didn't know. I couldn't tell you guys. I couldn't prepare y'all because I was unaware. But now Wolverine has, well, you know, there's some, (laughs) some, I guess, argument. Either all or probably not all, but I would say most of his memories back. And Wolverine doesn't deny that he knew about his brother. That He he doesn't say he forgot about him or anything like that. He just basically tells Beast, um, it's not time to talk about that right now. And uh, Beast calls him Logan again. Wolverine gets mad, which, you know, I don't, that's kind of silly. I mean, I, I know Wolverine has a short temper, but, um, Beast has been calling him Logan for, even in comic book days or time, for years. So it's going to be hard for him to, like, change when he calls him all of a sudden. 
Wolverine says, he, I don't know if he's, you know, now I'm kind of scratching my head. And if anyone knows this, please uh, write in in any of the various manners, email, Facebook, Twitter, comment on the webpage, on the episode, whatever. Has Wolverine told everybody, like, is it X-Men public knowledge? The, kind of the origin, the stuff from the origin series, like his real name, because he tells Beast, he says, James. My mama called me James. Though he says, I don't want to go by that either. <laughs> but um, I can't remember if he's told everybody, like, oh, my name is James. I feel like it's kind of common knowledge. Like, different people have called him that before. So I don't know if he's just, like, making a point or if he's revealing, like, if he's saying, I won't, we're not going to talk about my brother, but I'll give you a, oh, i throw you a bone here. My name was James. But I, I kind of think Beast already knew, but I can't remember for sure. So if anybody wants to uh, comment on that, please do. Set the record straight. I expect uh, footnotes. <laughs> just kidding. So anyway, uh, the speech is about that they're going to make a time capsule for the students to put stuff in and dig up in 35 years. Uh, Quentin Choir puts his Cyclops was right t-shirt in there. And Idy puts their Bible in there, which I thought was interesting. Because it's actually Nightcrawler's Bible. You would think that, uh, I mean, I, I'm guessing this is the one that Wolverine gave her. You would think, you know, she'd pick something of her own and not... I mean, what if Wolverine wanted to hold on to that if she didn't want it? You know, like, hey, this is yours, but... You know, sometimes when people give you stuff and they give it to you, it's yours. But it's kind of under the expectation that you're not going to throw it away or get rid of it or sell it. Like, if you're not going to keep it, you'll give it back so they can... If there's anything to be done with it, they can do it themselves, I guess. I don't know. I, I feel like I have... Th- not That doesn't apply to everything, but I feel like I have certain items that were kind of passed down to me, so to speak, and... They're mine, but I wouldn't feel right like donating them or selling them and keeping the money. Like I would want, you know, for my parents or my best friend or whoever gave it to me to have a say in its eventual fate. I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, sentimental that way. So um, the speech is over. Ice Man <laughs> fakes like he was gone and that it's just an ice double. Beast is crying and I think he's sincere. Kitty Pride talks about how that's the most Wolverine's ever talked. <laughs> and Storm commented that there wasn't very much cussing. And there was a little bit. So Wolverine uh, apologizes to Krakoa and digs in. And then we go to 25 years later. There's a beeping coming out of the uh, time capsule and the Bamps have dug it up. And Wolverine finds it, and we have our old man Logan, but not. Then we go to the schools. All right, so here are some cool things. We have a Sentinel and an X-Men ball cap. So there's a Sentinel that's an X-Men. And we have a guy who's a giraffe. So there's telepathic announcements by Professor Zorn, which I thought... All right, so this, even though I don't really know if this future... There's so many alternate futures in Marvel, it's hard to uh, know what relates to what. But Professor Zorn is here. And I know from the promos that there's going to be a Zorn character from the future in this um, War of the Atoms or whatever that's coming around the bend for the X-Men anniversary. So wait, just curiosity. There's uh, portraits on the wall. There's one of Iceman with a big gnarly ice beard. No, that was funny. So we have... legacy students, I guess is what you can call them. Students who are named very uh, noticeably after their parents. In one of these, there's a panel of Godzilla sneaking out of the corner. thought that was funny. So we have a Carmen Drake, which is the Ice Child. And the Homecoming King nominees are Barry the Wendigo, Shavork Bloodskull of the Brood, Warren Worthington IV, 
Kubrick Choir, which obviously it makes sense that Quentin Choir would be a Stanley Kubrick fan, so that's funny. For Homecoming Queen, Charlene Xavier, Rose Logan I thought was pretty cool because Rose from the uh, Origin series was kind of Wolverine's first love and set up his fetish for redheads. She Sentinel 17 and Summer Grey, which I thought was another cool little nod. So then we have Wolverine, he, re- he forgot about the time capsule, which I thought was kind of weird. That kind of makes me feel like we're going to get back to this future a little bit, maybe. Back to the future! Because <laughs> there's some things that are hinted at that aren't resolved. Like, why does Wolverine not have his memory? Or, why, or at least part of it. Like, why do you forget all about this? Anyway, he finds Nightcrawler's Bible. And then there's a floating sentinel head that's like the satellite. An eye boy, or I guess eye man now, and he actually makes a crack about that he's he's in the sentinel and he's using all his eyes and stuff to monitor all these screens of everything around the world um and some of the things we have are a wakanda sky city some other stuff that's kind of futuristic a church of sidorak thought that was kind of funny uh shark woman is in charge of x-force uh, genetic profiling in arizona bay i thought that was funny because you know arizona has been under fire for all the laws of the uh racial profiling i hope i didn't miss it oh i did all right so earlier there's a there's campus satellites of the jean gray school in new beijing san francisco which i thought was funny because it's underwater like san francisco is underwater california finally fell into the ocean anyway that was just a little side note yeah so they're still looking for the hidden city of akaba or akaba i don't really know how you say that and then old man logan (laughs) I know it's not really the same character, but he looks like it to me, so that's what I'm going to refer to him as. Because it's not even close to the same future. So, anyway, he teleports into the head, and he's trying to find some time travel equipment. And I, boy, like, nope, we can't do that. That's outlawed. Uh, no more, no more going around in time like we used to. But he gets in there. He says he doesn't want to go back in time. He just wants to send a message to himself. He says, I don't remember burying the time capsule, but when I opened it, I remembered a lot of things. And all I can see is why the way I was back then. And basically kind of regretting, I guess, for having the school and keeping it going. So he's going to warn himself about everything. He says, the Hellfire Academy and that damn siege, Azazel and his pirates, the Black Order, that butcherous Mondo, Sabretooth's secret plans, a new brotherhood, the Apocalypse Crusade, Gene... Which, all new X-Men gene, right? So, like, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of hinted at. Some of it, obviously, this mate, this future won't happen exactly the way. So, some of these are just teases and the fact that they'll never happen. But some of these are teases that will be revealed over the coming years, I'm assuming, in this very comic. And we don't know what's what. And so, I thought that was pretty cool. Really enjoyed it. But basically, he says, the eye boy's like, well, you can't do that. You'll change the past, and then this will change. Our Their future, our present will change. Wolverine's like, was it worth it? And eye boy basically says, yeah, well, so if you're going to send a message, send him thank you for training us and raising the X-Men to be the way they are. The school's still going, and blah, blah, blah. There are a lot of hard times, but we all survived, I guess, basically, is what he's saying. So Wolverine sees, um, he gets some kind of time, like, capsule of his own and he's looking at the stuff and the exact stuff the beast was cataloging is on a shelf up here in the space station and he kind of groans and says i hate it when the kids are smarter than me 
So then we see uh, our present day Wolverine. He's got his sleeves rolled up and his shirt untucked and his collar undone and his tie hanging loose. He's ready to dig. He's got his shovel. And he, as he breaks ground, he hits this metal tube. And he pulls it out. And it's uh, stationary from the Jean Grey School. And it says, thanks, bub, and good luck, dash L. And taped to it with some, some very futuristic scotch tape <laughs> is a key. Wolverine's like, what the hell? So then we switch real fast. And Dog is beating up his older futuristic self. And uh, Cade has come to recruit him to the Hellfire Club as Dog shoots his older self. And I guess he got tired of getting picked on by his future self. And so he offers him a job, or Cade Kilgore offers Dog a job at his new educational opportunity. So Wolverine figures out the key from the that he dug up goes to the box that they couldn't open. Oh, I, I wasn't going to spoil it, but they actually say the name. The Hellfire Academy here, as Cade shakes hands with Dog. And so Wolverine opens the box, and there's a little raft and a little boat. It looked like models, but maybe they were shrunk down too. I mean, if Beast can do it, then so can people in the future, right? And we see a, a little flat. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They're toys. They're, we see flashback scenes of Dog and Logan playing. I guess, sorry, I guess at this point it would be Dog and James. Because remember, they were friends until Wolverine popped his claws and, and killed his dad, or their dad. And we see them playing on the shore of it looks like a creek. And they got these, like, little raft and a model boat. And Wolverine remembers, like, their bonding and their fun. And it's touching that Dog kept those in his box. As much hell as he's given Wolverine in the last couple issues, there's obviously something still there that they cherish of their past between the two of them. So I thought that was really cool, really interesting. Then we see Idy is tying up Brew to the base of the Jean Grey statue, and she's leaving. She's going to Hellfighter Academy. And that's where we'll leave off. So, um, all right, Perez's art, still pretty good. Some of it, they're still in the occasional panel. It's a little cartoony for me, but overall, I like it. And thought the story was really fun. Not a whole lot happened, but like I said, lots of little kind of fun little things, little clever things, and I thought it was a good issue. Not much action, but a lot of good dialogue, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this future will end up mattering or not. You know, none of them really matter in the big picture of the Marvel Universe because they're all so, um, not static. What's the opposite of static? Fluid. But, um, anyway, it was entertaining, and it, provided insight to our current storyline so that was cool um yeah so i'm gonna give wolverine and the x-men number 29 three out of three claws i was kind of borderline but i i liked it enough and laughed enough that i'll go ahead and bump it up to a three so wolverine and the x-men number 29 three out of three claws all right let's move on okay so next up we have astonishing x-men number 62 this is written by marjorie Liu. Art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Colors by Chris Peter. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And the covers by Phil Noto. And it's a pretty cool cover. It's, it's good. It's not my favorite of Noto's, but I like Noto's covers a lot, so it's still really good. It basically has like a split of the current Iceman and the old Iceman. You know, like the face is split in half, kind of. I was going to say when I first saw this, I got kind of excited because I thought it would be, you know, an all-new X-Men. Of course, we have the old Iceman brought back from the past. And we have so the two Icemen kind of 
existing simultaneously. I thought maybe this issue would have to do with that, but I guess it's more just a concept to cover because it has nothing to do with that at all. Though it is very much about Iceman. Of course, remember in the crappy crossover that uh, it ended with Bobby uh, encasing inside his ice body one of the apocalypse death scenes. And so you knew when we picked back up after the crossover that we would have to deal with that. And to me... It was not a question of if, but how. How is Marjorie Liu going to write that into this story? What was she going to do with it? Was it just going to be like an archangel rehash? Like, oh, Bobby's going to deal with being Apocalypse because he's got the death scene inside of him. He's going to struggle with being a bad guy. You know, or would she make it more interesting? And so let's see. So we start off, Mystique is in Tokyo. And she walks inside. I gotta say, I really don't like Walter's saber tooth. Uh, he's sitting in, it's funny, he does have a little kennel of kitties, and Mystique asks where they came from, and Sabretooth says it's a snack. But I don't know, it looks looks almost kind of like if Howard Chaykin drew Sabretooth. Actually, it looks, because he did, didn't he, in that Avengers 1963 or whatever book that he did? Wasn't Sabretooth on that team? Yeah, it looks kind of like that. Of course, it's in the black, like, spy suit but he's got like the really square head and the really short hair and the big vampire fangs actually saber teeth i guess anyway uh didn't really like that much other than that i thought the art in the book was pretty good overall so mystique takes the kittens into the bathroom with her she gets in the bath she's taking a bath and we see little it's a very hot bath there's lots of steam and we see the steam starts to make little hands and it's going to try to grab mystique then we also see it's getting cold because she's breathing fog. You know, like when your breath is really cold. And then suddenly the ice tub completely turns to ice. And she jumps out and grabs her gun. And she says... <laughs> she says, damn it, Bobby! <laughs> Which Walter or Lou, whoever's in charge, really miss an opportunity. Since Mystique can change shapes... She should have morphed into Hank Kill when she said that. That's all I could think of. I was like, Damn it, Bobby! <laughs> but she's pointing the gun at the icy bathtub, and I guess she knows that somehow it's Iceman. I remember that Mystique and Iceman had a fling a while back. It was fairly short-lived, but it did exist. Back when Mystique was on the side of the Angels, as they like to say, when she was actually on the X-Men team for a little bit there. Her and Bobby had a little tryst. Anyway, we see Bobby, he's in his therapist's office, talking about his nightmares, all about snow, but he's being very distant, and he's scared of his nightmares. Of course, I don't think he's telling his therapist that he's carrying a death scene in his chest, but, you know, <laughs> I guess you don't really always bring that up right away. So he goes to meet uh, Kitty Pride and Karma and Gambit at a coffee shop. Everyone's talking about how crazy the weather is, how it's like snowing super hard. Bobby greets Kenny with a kiss, and she looks surprised. They've only been on a couple of dates, and she she says, I wasn't sure we were at the PDA stage yet. And then Gambit makes a joke about the weather practically being apocalyptic, and Iceman flips his lid. He actually loses control and freezes the table. (laughs) Everyone's like, whoa, calm down. Bobby jokes and he does need to chill out. But he's just on edge because they just fought, you know, almost lost the whole multiverse to Apocalypse. You know, so he's, he's not sleeping very well. He's a little on edge. And then suddenly, 
All of Iceman's ex-girlfriends start showing up, all claiming that they were texted and called by Bobby asked to meet him here. We have Polaris, Opal, and then I don't know who this one is. This one's name is um, Annie. I don't remember Annie. I remember Opal from the X-Factor days. Of course, I remember uh, Polaris and them ha- her having a thing with Iceman. I don't. I don't know who Annie is, so if you remember who Annie is, why don't you write in and remind me, because I forgot, or maybe I didn't read it, I don't know, I'm sure I did, I don't remember it. Anyway, they're all like, okay, well this is awkward, so everybody feels super awkward, and of course Kitty's mad, and everybody storms off, and Kitty's, and Iceman begs with Kitty Pride, no, it's not my fault, I didn't do this, it's com- something's, something's wrong, it's, it's confusing, I didn't call anybody. And Gambit says she's not mad because they showed up. And uh, Carmen goes, she's mad because you were happy to see them and everybody could tell. Which I guess everybody could tell. I don't know. I didn't really see anything in the art that made him. He looked kind of awkward and wide-eyed the whole time. I mean, he was smiling and being friendly, but that's just Iceman. Anyway, she's mad. She storms off, finds out that Mystique was the waitress in the coffee shop, and then she turns into a dog and runs off down the alley. So, then we skip to Gambit. He's talking to Jubilee. They're making, they joke around a little bit. Then Mystique shows up with a gun. Gambit throws a plate of pie at her and charges a curtain. What does he have here? He's got like a curtain rod and a necklace on his bed. I think this is all stuff that Jubilee sent Gambit. A postcard from New Orleans. So, it's got like a necklace and a stick and a little treasure box. But I don't know how she shipped all this. And there's no packaging around. He just got it all sitting on the bed in his boxer briefs. Anyway, so he, he charges a stick and throws it at Mystique, but it doesn't blow up. It just lands on the wall. I thought that was weird. But then Mystique does something I have not seen very often. She gets giant octopus arms that come out of her back, and she tries to get Gambit. Gambit charges a necklace and throws it at her, and that actually explodes, like you would expect. So she traps Gambit, pulls a gun on him, and says she only came here to warn him, warn him that something was wrong with Bobby. And Gambit's like, well, if all you hadn't cried wolf all those years and told so many lies, maybe I'd believe that's the only reason you're here. Then somehow she picks up the necklace, I guess it didn't really blow up, puts it on the bed, and she says, well, okay, you don't have to believe me, but I'm right, and I left you a present. And she brought him Sabretooth's snack kittens, I guess. I guess she didn't want them to get eaten. So then Bobby tries to find Kitty. She goes to her office. He's not, or her room. They have nameplates on their rooms? That's weird. Anyway, he wants to talk to her about yesterday, but she's not in there. She went to the kitchen where Wolverine is cooking steak for breakfast. <laughs> And she tells Wolverine she needs some relationship advice. He's like, no thanks, I'm eating steak. And then she talks about how she wasn't mad about what how awkward yesterday was because it was awkward, but she was mad because she felt like she wasn't there. And she talks about uh, Colossus and how she misses him and that even though he turned evil Phoenix and tried to kill her and destroy the world, that she never felt forgotten <laughs> around him. But that she knew that their love before that was true and she never felt forgotten. And she says she's trying to move on, but every time she gets ready to, something happens that makes him makes her miss him even more, like yesterday with Bobby being an ass. And she tells Wolverine that, that Peter was the great love of her life, and I guess she thinks that there's part of him and Wolverine interrupts and says you can have him again. And she's like, Yes, am I crazy? And Wolverine's like, Nope, that's how it goes. 
Take it from an old man. There's a reason so many women want to kill me. And she says, the ones who don't, I miss them. <laughs> they have their breakfast. Apparently, Iceman overheard it. So he runs outside. His eyes turn pink. And he gets, you know, you know, in the modern Iceman, he's kind of ridgy and not smooth. Well, his ice ridges, like, shoot out and get really big. But then they go down when he's scowling. And then we switch to Avengers Tower. They're having a classic Avengers poker game. And Thor just lost a hand and has gone catatonic. And he starts foaming at the mouth and repeating something over and over again in Norse. And then Bobby's talking about another dream he has. about the end of the world where he becomes one with all the ice in the world and destroys it. And we get a really cool panel of him ripping open his chest and we see the uh, death seed. And then we see all the different girlfriends doing their jobs where they were. And Polaris is in an empty bed. She's dreaming about havoc. And then she gets attacked by ice. To be continued. So, thought that was pretty good. Art was really good. Other than Sabretooth, the art was really good. And I thought they handled... I thought Marjorie Liu handled the story pretty well. I thought she took a really lame crossover and took a little piece of it and is turning it into a decent story. So, kudos to her for that. I'm definitely interested to see how she handles the story from here out. Obviously, you know, I kind of made fun of and hoped that Iceman would not just go down the Archangel route kind of rehash that story and I, I don't know jury's still out on that depends on what she does with it but at least it's interesting so far and Iceman is definitely struggling with the dark side he now has because of the uh the death scene he's carrying around and you know I, I wondered it actually makes sense and it's a good story arc for Iceman because with all the things going on in all new X-Men the two Icemans are very similar and so it'll be good to see one of them take a very different story arc and go through a different kind of struggle with the darkness a little bit because I don't think young Iceman's anywhere close to doing that. So overall, I'm going to give the book two out of three claws, but it's a very strong two out of three. I'm definitely interested in it, and it was an enjoyable read, and I definitely want to see where it goes. So yeah, Astonishing uh, X-Men number 62 a very strong two out of three claws. Okay, so up next we have Uncanny Avengers number eight. This is written by Rick Remender, art by Daniel Acuna, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, cover art by John Cassidy and Laura Martin. And the cover's all right. It's some um, sunfire shooting a sunfire. It's what he does. So remember, the apocalypse had come and slain the celestial with the old. Uh, as Guardian Axe. And now the Avengers, the Uncanny Avengers, are trying to save the world as Apocalypse's ship has come back to Earth. So we have the Apocalypse twins talking to each other aboard the ship over Rio de Janeiro. And they're talking about the camps they were in with the Red Skull onslaught. Which remember, we saw that cameo in, on the last page of an Uncanny Avengers story a little while back. So we see Thor throws his hammer and uses the lightning bolt to break the ship in half. And he's trying to figure, or sorry, the debris from the space station, not the ship, in half. And he's trying to decide how he's going to do it without causing debris to get rid of the other half. But then Sunfire obliterates it with nuclear power and just takes care of it. We get some explanations of the senses of the Apocalypse Twins I don't really get. 
synthesthesia, and we get a funny panel of her playing some synthesizer and notes coming out of it, and some kind of like psychic music. Yeah, and how she lost her eyes and whatever. So then Thor and Sunfire decide to go after the Apocalypse ship. Oh, we did get a little... (laughs) Sunfire hasn't changed over the years. After he blows up the debris, he lands. And people are like celebrating him. He says, no, please, no need to thank me, Rio. Thank the Avengers for having the foresight to beg Sunfire to join. Classic dick sunfire though it's a little more funny in this instance whereas in his first appearances it was actually really abrasive and annoying so they get up to the space shuttle we get a little bit of history remember that sunfire was once one of the horsemen of apocalypse and we get an explanation for why he can burn in space apocalypse augmented his powers that he can now secrete his own bio oxygen feed his lungs and his flames So he can not only survive in space, but continue to burn, even though space is a vacuum. So Sunfire explains that this is not Apocalypse. Apocalypse is dead, and he doesn't really know them, but he knows the ship. And the ship lets him in. So they get in, but see that everybody has been slaughtered inside the ship. Thor thinks it's a trap, and then the ship teleports away. So we see the Uncanny Avengers flying in a Quinjet, and it's Havoc, Scarlet Witch, Rogue, Wasp, and Wolverine. And they're talking about how Captain America is missing, and it feels like a trap. And Wolverine just points out Akiba and says, that's where we need to go to find him. That's where all the Apocalypse servants live. It's a city under the North Pole that worships Apocalypse. And Havoc says, accuses Wolverine of not giving all the information and wasp was like who our resident psycho and then rogue jumps in and says no we're not keeping secrets the avengers are thor looked pretty uh shocked when he saw the picture of that axe that havoc says my brother was possessed by apocalypse i wish he was here <laughs> wolverine's like nope can't use him we'll figure it out i've had lots of experience of course he was a horseman of death at one point so Rogue pulls him aside and said, uh, those Apocalypse twins looked an awful lot like Archangel. Is there anything you need to tell me? Where he says, it ain't Archangel. He's dead. And a lot of people die. Let's not kill anybody else. And so they agree on that. And Wasp accuses them of having secrets as X-Men. The X-Men always keep secrets. And then we find out that Captain America, his escape pod landed in Sudan. And of course, no one in Sudan is going to be thrilled to see Captain America because they don't like America. So he fights his way through a little army into an old abandoned church. And he finds a very futuristic-looking box with (laughs) what looks like a little embossed plate that says, Captain America, push here. It kind of reminds me of Alice in Wonderland a little bit. Like, drink me, eat me. But he he does because obviously... (laughs) He never read the old giant-sized X-Men. No, not giant-sized. Uh, X-Men 94? Or, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. With, um, oh, what's his name? What's the dumb Count, um, Count Nefaria? Where he sent the, the, the thing to the military base that said, push me. And they pushed it, and all the bad guys came out and took over the base. So apparently he's never read that, so he just pushes the button without trying to figure out what it is. And it's a hologram. And someone is saying, they can't know I've contacted you, or there will be no hope of saving the world. 
So the apocalypse ship has indeed teleported to the Occupa Metropolis, and Thor and Sunfire are wandering around, kind of jaw-jacking with each other. Thor doesn't like Sunfire's attitude, probably because his attitude sucks. I don't like it either. Then we see a hologram of um, the Apocalypse twins, and they have a message. They're saying that because the humans, the X-Men and Avengers have gotten together, the humans and the mutants have bonded, it prevented Apocalypse from ever taking the throne. But because Apocalypse never did, Kang did, and he had the Empire instead, so they just traded one villain for another. So then, simultaneously, the Apocalypse twins are walking through their city. They find out that all their um, worshippers are mutants that lost their powers on M-Day. So they're all just humans. And so we find out, they introduce themselves. The girl twin is Amen, the Eternal Sweep. The boy is Uriel, Light of the Cosmos. And they want to re-enlist Sunfire. He says, no thanks. And they say that Thor is helped. He enchanted Yarnjorn, or Yarnbjorn. In the future, when we were raised, Father King used your axe to crack the celestial armor and kill any who ascended to the throne of Apocalypse. The mutants were not protected and wiped out, ensuring the King dynasty and the decimation of mutant kind. So we used the axe and came back and undid it by killing the celestial now, and now we're going to kill you. But others share your blame, and he shows a hologram from Uncanny X-Force. It says, Wolverine, Mongol traitor to his people. His clandestine X-Force assassinated the last candidates to ascend to the Station of Apocalypse. First, the child in Sabarnar, uh, the first kid Apocalypse they killed before they found Evan. And then our father, War- Warren... <laughs> can't talk. Our father, Warren Worthington, murdered in his prime leaving behind a fraud in his shape, of course referring to the reborn angel, after they stuck the death scene or life scene in Apocalypse. So he says that Wolverine is an executioner of children and a craven betrayer of his closest friends, and you must all reckon, have a reckoning. Then we see the Apocalypse twins, Uriel kills all of his worshippers to spare them from the coming future. He says it's an act of mercy. Thor gets pissed, says Wolverine is honorable. And they're like, well, just ask him then. And tell him this is all retribution for his deeds. Actually, they say he will know. Our wrath is retribution for his deeds. And they tell Thor that Ragnarok is now. Of course, that's the Norse end of the world, the apocalypse. And they decide to fly off. They say their words have caused a dissension. It will split up the Uncanny Avengers and prevent the future they came from. That they will, they can't, together they defeat Apocalypse and allow the rise of Krang. So now if they split up, I guess they won't defeat Apocalypse and Apocalypse will take care of Krang himself and everything will be as it should be in their eyes. So we see the Avengers approaching the North Pole and they pick up the, the energy readings and Wolverine sees the Apocalypse twins flying off. And as they do, they talk about their words breaking up the unity of the Uncanny Avengers. And then we see a big mushroom cloud. And we get a really cool panel of red and pink and orange and white of the light, the blinding light of the mushroom cloud blinding into the cockpit of the Quinjet and fading into a whole, the last page is a full page of white. Pretty cool. I gotta say the art was really good in this issue. I said last time, I really like Acuna when... The story plays to his taste, and this story 
plays to his taste perfectly. So I really enjoyed the art. It was really fantastic. And I really like the story. I like where we're going. It, I, you know, I'm an Apocalypse fan. Definitely want to see where this is going. I like the characterization of the characters. I thought the drama in the between the Avengers and the X-Men on the team was a little more restrained. It was still there, but it was um, <laughs> a little easier to read. It made a little more sense in the story. It wasn't quite so, like, high school drama. It was more like drama. I mean, it was dramatic, but it wasn't too immature. So I enjoyed it a little more. And like I said, that should kind of gradually tone down. So I like this step in that direction. Then it's still there, but it's not... I don't know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. But the the drama felt more realistic in this issue. As far as between the X-Men and Avengers. So I really liked it. I can't wait to see what happens next. Um, yeah. Really good issue. I'm going to give Uncanny Avengers number 8, 3 out of 3 claws. Okay, so now it's time for an Age of Ultron update. We have Age of Ultron, book 8. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by Brandon Peterson. Color by Paul Mounts. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And Brandon Peterson did the cover. And it's a really nice cover. I dig it quite a bit. We have, I guess this is some kind of alleyway, and we have like Tony, the back of Tony Stark's Iron Man boots, and he's kind of levitating. We have Wolverine, an invisible woman, coming at him. Wolverine's got his claws out, of course, and he's scowling, and it's a nice action pose for him. And I like, I said before, and I'll say it again, I'm, I probably will eventually get tired of this and feel like it's played out, but right now it's kind of in vogue, and I'm a fan of this kind of like light color outline around the action. So like Wolverine and Invisible Woman and Iron Man all kind of have this like really light blue thin line around their figures. And it just, I don't know, I, I, I like it stylistically. It looks cool. So I think this cover's pretty fantastic. I like it a whole lot. So anyway, for what it's worth, you should, should check it out if you haven't seen it. All right, so remember, uh, Age Voltron is now kind of a, it's a wonderful life for Henry Pym. And so w- when Wolverine and Sue Storm came back to the quote-unquote present, everything was different. And they were attacked by the Defenders and captured by Tony Stark and the Defenders, who are in a nice amalgamation. Almiga- How do you pronounce that word? Amalgamation? I think that's right. Amalgamation of... um the Avengers and the X-Men and the Defenders and kind of just really whoever's left in this timeline. So we see, we, we open up to a really cool page of Tony Stark kind of floating around in his lab and he has taken the memories Wolverine and Susan Storm and converted them into video or maybe audio also, but converted them to files. And of course, his computer's name is Jarvis. And Jarvis is uh, displaying all these files and Tony Stark is blown away as basically he sees a whole alternate timeline like laid out before him. And he's interrupted by off panel and um, basically uh, someone has serious moral issues with him converting their memories into files. So he tells Jarvis to uh, log it, catalog it and organize it. It's going to take a long time to uh, go through all that. 
and he tells the people off panel, he says, tell me this isn't real. But of course they think that it is, and it's Professor X and Emma Frost, and they, and I think it's funny, it's funny here because uh, Professor X says, that man is, without question, James Howitt, and Emma Frost says, a.k.a. Logan, and Professor X says, a.k.a. Weapon X, and Emma Frost says, a.k.a. Wolverine, Professor X says, just not our Wolverine. They say the same thing about Sue Richards, that Susan, it is her, but not the same one they know in their timeline. And Professor X says that their narr- the memory files, their narrative of their history is identical, perfectly in sync, and it cannot be faked. And Emma Frost comments on how horrible their memories are. And then Iron Man says um, there's no way, he questions if there's any way more... Morgana Le Fay could have planted those memories. So I guess she's going to be the big baddie in this future. Eh, probably not my favorite choice, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, um, but he says, Are you sure this isn't some sort of clone, fake memory, Trojan horse, magic bomb about to blow up in our faces? And Emma Frost says, Well, if she can do this, if she's this powerful, then she already won. Professor X says, no, I think this is exactly what it appears to be. And so, uh, so Tony Stark says, well, so basically what we're saying is these two lunatics have broken the timeline. They went back in time and broke it. And Frost says, yeah, well, we were dead, all dead, and now we're alive. So there's that. And Professor X says that our Wolverine wants to interrogate this other Wolverine. And Iron Man's like, no, I want everybody to go away. No one knows about this. Uh, Emma asks if she wants him, if he wants her to erase the Defender's memories. Professor X objects. And Tony Stark kind of ignores the question. And he wants to pull up the footage of when Hank Pym died. And we see Wolverine, our Wolverine, sitting in a chair Hands behind his back, I'm assuming, in some kind of adamantium sheath, like he usually is. And we don't actually see it. So maybe he's not. Yeah, looking through this. I don't know that he was. Anyway. Um, so Tony Stark comes to uh, give him a talking to. And he says, all this time we always thought that Henry Pym was murdered by scrolls. And Wolverine says, could you use a beer? You got beer on this tub? And Tony Stark is like, ah, oh, typical Wolverine. He actually says, you're so like yourself, it's scary. And Wolverine asks what happened to him, and uh, Iron Man says, It seems you did. I lost half of my body in the Latveria Asgard Wars. The last time I ever saw Thor, I was ripped in half, along with my armor, trying to keep Morgana Le Fay from conquering this half of the world as well as all of Europe. But it seems none of that would have happened if Hank Pym was still alive. And he asked Jarvis to pull up the footage. Wolverine is surprised there was a camera there. And Tony Stark says, you killed my very good friend. The Avengers broke up soon after this, and Magic won in a battle against technology. Asgard abandoned us. You broke the world. And we switch over to a visible woman being held in the same kind of chair in a different cell. And she definitely has some kind of metal shackles that her invisible field cannot break through. She gets a nosebleed trying. We go back to Wolverine's cell. And he asks if he can leave. Oh, yeah, so we see the metal metal uh, shackles there. Okay, cool. And Iron Man's like, where would you go? 
And Wolverine says, how does this work? Am I under arrest? Are you king of the world now? And Iron Man asks him about the butterfly effect. And Wolverine says, my whole life is a butterfly effect. You think I did the wrong thing because the world I left was dead. All because of a robot your friend made in his basement. And Iron Man says, not a robot, artificial intelligence. Whatever you say. Did you try to talk him out of it? Did you try to get him to see the error of his ways? Pim? Yeah, it didn't take. Just like you, the other you, said it wouldn't. It's a religion to you guys. You see something worth building, you're going to build it. You have to build it. So, you killed him? It's what I do. That's my religion. <laughs> and so Iron Man gets mad. He says, you think you sacrificed yourself to save the world. And Wolverine says, bub, I ain't proud of myself. And Iron Man says, this world isn't better. You're a fool. So then the Defenders are on the, the Stark Carrier, as it's called. I'm sorry, a Stark Guard Carrier. And they're trying to decide what to do. Uh, Quill, I guess, is a Star-Lord. Uh, says he can't believe there's another one of you, Wolverine. They gripes about how cryptic Iron Man is all the time. Uh, Cyclops slash Cable says it's not really them. How could it be? And Ben wants to talk to Susan because this is his family. And Emma Frost and Professor X come out and tell them they need to leave. And uh, the other Wolverine is like, hell no. And then Emma Frost says, you know, you need to settle down. I know this is upsetting. The Wolverine says, stop reading my mind, lady. And he looks like a toothless old man. And this panel is really, he looks really like just old and decrepit, wasting away. Like he's decaying. It doesn't look like that in any other spot in the book. I don't know. The panel just looks weird. You know, he looks like, he looks like an Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> like his face. All right. And Emma Frost says, I would never read your mind. It's disgusting in there. And Ben's like, well, what about Susan? And Emma Frost is like, it's security matter. Just leave. And uh, Colonel America is despondent The Tony Stark never feels like he can trust the defenders and the thing is like screw this and Emma Frost says stop or I'll shut your brain down so hard you'll forget your potty training and then Doctor Strange is like you do not touch a defender Frost about that you have been warned I've changed my mind go Ben Cable back him up everybody else in position and he casts some spells of disorientation and Wolverine the other Wolverine thing Cable and Star-Lord all run into the the Stark Guard helicarrier. And uh, we go back to the interrogation scene. And Iron Man's like, why didn't you try a time-release virus? Wolverine's like, yeah, because whatever that is. And Iron Man says, if I was alive to help you, if Reed Richards was alive to help you, we would have, we should have been able to create a virus. Wolverine gets angry now. He's like, well, he wasn't, and you did it. And then we see uh, the defenders busting through the Stark Guards. Iron Man still is... uh, hypothesizing about different ways Wolverine could have fixed this without doing what he did. We get a really cool panel of Thing yelling at a Stark guard to open Susan Storm's cell. Uh, Wolverine says, uh, that's a nice theory and all, Stark, but I did what I had to do with what I had. And then we, Jarvis tells Stark that they're on lockdown. Then he decides, oh, it was a trick. You, This is a trick by Lord. Morgana Le Fay. Wolverine's like, Le Fay? And they bust into Susan's cell, but she, I guess, eventually broke out of her things with her invisible bubble, nosebleed and all. And Wolverine's like, the other Wolverine's like, she was just here. The scent is strong. And then the door shuts behind him. 
And Wolverine's like, oh, well, she wasn't here. Invisible. And Cable says that he's embarrassed that he fell for that old invisible trick. But Stark has technology. He says he can see on every spectrum. So he sees the invisible woman. And he says, I'm going to kill you for what you've done. And then there's some big, like, purple explosion in the sky. And Tony Stark is like, you brought her here. And I guess it's Morgana Le Fay. And Susan's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just want to see my kids. And then we get a really nice double-page spread where half of it's one panel. And the, I guess really two-thirds of it is one panel. And the bottom third is two separate panels. But it looks really cool. It's Morgana Le Fay actually looks probably the coolest she's ever looked. So thank you, Brandon Peterson. And she's riding a dragon. There's some really cool, like, Doom bots. But they're like, it's Doctor Doom's face, but like, ram horns coming out of it and then so it's obviously like magic based oh this panel is just it's a really nice page then we see the defenders that were still topside and going to engage in the battle um <laughs> just to comment on how dumb dr strange is most of the time uh one of his spells is from the scroll of wobba wob yeah you read that right wobba wob so anyway they're fighting Stark is shooting at the the Invisible Woman, but she's inside a force-filled bubble. We see Wolverine. There's a big, uh, smoky, uh, burning hole in his side. He's obviously in pain. And then the helicarrier starts getting rocked from the battle outside. So the defenders inside don't know what to do. Get a cool panel of Wolverine, the other Wolverine, and our Wolverine's old brown and yellow uniform popping his claws. And we go see the battle outside, and Stark confronts LeFay. Uh, She blows up the Hulk, or at least cuts a big hole in him anyway. And we see uh, our Wolverine stumbling through the helicarrier, clutching his sides. It's starting to burn up, and he curses, and comet cursing with, you know, the symbols. And he sees the other Wolverine out of the corner of his eye. And they make eye contact. Interesting panel. And Lefay is beating Tony Stark. And then we see the Helen Carrier start colliding into each other. We see our Wolverine on fire. I guess he's escaping or maybe he's not. I'm not real sure. Uh, Stark is being overrun by the Doombots. And the last page is a full page spread of Helen Carriers bumping into each other, blowing up and crashing into the city below with more explosions. I thought that was pretty exciting and pretty cool for the alternate future of the broken future. Interesting, still interesting to see how we kind of get back to whatever semblance of our current time is going to be. But for now, I'm enjoying this story. Uh, More so than I did the original Age of Ultron, like immediate future where where everything was decimated. This is is cooler. Uh, We're getting with Faye. I'm mixed. I understand. All right. Well, first of all, let me say this. A lot of my favorite current writers have a particular gift that I think is new. And that gift is, and Bendis and Rick Remender are the king of this, of taking old characters that are really, really dumb (laughs) and making them interesting and kind of cool. Bendis did that a lot in uh, his Avengers, his massive Avengers run made me be interested and care about characters I never even liked. And Remender did a lot of the same thing with some of the uh, not-so-awesome mutants. He did that in, like, an X-Force and that kind of stuff. And um, so that said, that's the strength they both have. Now, we don't really get, like... Well, Faye just kind of shows up, and she's, like, proclaimed as the big... 
like world threatening force and then she shows up and doesn't really do anything but fight and by the way just fyi the art is fantastic in this book peterson kills and the battles all the fight battle scenes are awesome so that said she just shows up and fights and so you don't really get a whole lot of story to her so i don't know if she's gonna be cool in this alternate future or not i typically don't like her very much so Anyway, that original point, I have mixed feelings. Because on the one hand, I like that Bendis went with somebody different than the typical world-threatening villains. It's, you know, it's not Apocalypse or Magneto or... And try not to show my X-Men bias too much. It's also not uh, Red Skull or Kang or Doctor Doom. No, Doctor Doom's involved, but it's not Doctor Doom. Apparently, it looks like LeFay probably defeated Doctor Doom and took over his stuff. Or maybe the Defenders defeated Dr. Damon with Faye just she was second in command and took it over. I don't know. That would be a story I'd be interested in hearing or reading. I mean, so anyway, so I like that aspect. I don't really like the Miss Morgana with Faye yet. Maybe Venice will make me like it. But at this point, other than the fact that she looks cool and the Doom Boss looks awesome, I'm kind of meh on that. But that does not take away from the story. The issue is really, really good, I thought. Like I said, I don't I I don't want to see a situation where however this resolves when we end up with a bunch of these characters carrying over or like coming to our universe. I'm not always a big fan of that. But as it stands right now, I'm enjoying the story for what it is. Much more so, like I said, than when it started off. So, and I definitely want to see where it goes and how it resolves. And I think we're getting pretty close to the end. There's only 10 issues, right? If I remember right? Or is it 12? I think it's 10. So we're, we're coming up pretty close to seeing how this ends. And, um, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely interested and curious. So, uh, but I thought the art was awesome. The writing was awesome. The fighting was awesome. The story's pretty close to awesome. No, it's pretty awesome. So I'm going to give Age of Ultron book 8... Three out of three claws. I'm actually, uh, as much as I wasn't excited about this series when it started off, I'm pretty dang excited about it right now. So, um, that's really cool. All right. Age of Ultron, book eight, three out of three claws. All right. So our last segment for this episode is going to be, where's Logan? And Logan this week is an Uncanny X-Force number four. Written by Sam Humphreys, penciled by Ron Garney, inked by Scott Hanna. The Mindscape pages are by Adrian Alfona and Christina Strain. Colors by Marte Gracia with Israel Gonzalez. VC's Corey Pettit is a letterer. Chris Aka does the cover. Cover's pretty cool. It's a cluster, aka Lady Phantom X with Phantom X, kind of in a spy pose where they're like standing back to back, but they're next to each other. So like shoulder, like back shoulder to back shoulder, I guess. That's how you would say that. And they're kind of standing over like a very psychedelic spy movie kind of background. It looks pretty cool. It's a nice cover. All right, so remember um, Wolverine sent. Uh, Storm and Psylocke to meet Puck in LA and find a new mutant who ends up being a teenager who's controlling people like like they're on drugs kind of like like they thought it was a drug pusher but she's using some kind of psych telepathic power and Bishop shows up out of nowhere and he's super pissed talking about how he's got to have the girl and Betsy goes inside his mind and there's a giant grizzly bear in there so Spyro runs away with the girl after Bishop is fighting the X-Force team but Bishop gets him and runs off. And we see Psylocke inside her, his head. And I like this part. She says, fair warning. I'm no damsel in distress. And that was pretty cool. 
So Psylocke's kind of ta- she's taking care of Bishop, but then she's not <laughs> as the Bishop. I'm sorry, not Bishop, the big grizzly bear monster. It squashes her with his paw, and then an owl shows up and whistles, a white owl, and everything goes all spiral y. And the owl kicks Psylocke out of Bishop's head. And she wakes up <laughs> in mid flight. Storm is flying her and Puck through the subway with her wind powers. And Psylocke tells her that Bishop's head is occupied by a lot of things besides Bishop. So Spiral decides that she can't keep teleporting because Bishop keeps catching up. So she's going to fight Bishop, make us last stand. I got to say all the action sequences in this book are fantastic. And I got to say the art by Ron Garney is fantastic. And the inks. All right, the Ron Garney-Scott handing combo are awesome. You add to that the colors by Marta Grasse, who is doing a stupendous job coloring these the Marvel Now books, particularly this one and All New X-Men. I say particularly, that may be the only two he's doing. Those, those are the two I'm reading him in, and he's hitting a home run in both of those books every issue. Colors flipping fantastic. Both of those books... Just look amazing, beautiful. Two, the two best-looking comic books out right now, I think. And I mean that as a very high praise, because there's a lot of really good-looking books out right now. But I think those are two of the best. So X-Force catches up. Then we get a little cameo of, of the Phantom X and Dark Phantom X fights Phantom X, and they're kind of just fighting. It's a very... A panel that looks awesome with them all kind of fighting each other. The contrast of the... This Phantom X is white with a little bit of black. And the other Phantom X is black with a little bit of white. So they're like mirror images kind of. Or inverse images. Now I'm a big fan of Gracia's thing where he does a color outline around the figures. So this one, we have them falling in the night sky. And they're both colored by like a hot pink trim. It looks really cool. Regardless of how it may or may not sound, it looks awesome. uh, Bishop gets the upper hand on Spiral, and the kid tries to um, attack him with her psychic powers, and she does for a second. Then he fights back, and we see a giant red owl take on her white angel form, and Jenny is taken over by the spirit. Bishop growls. Storm shoots him with a lightning bolt, and then Jenny is gone. And Bishop wakes up, and he's back to just regular Bishop. Still don't know how he got his arm back, but I'm glad he's not being... I'm glad there was something going on in his head, because I really hated the whole Bishop is bad guy and the and the Messiah complex storyline. It felt really out of character. I know I didn't get to cover that, because it was before the podcast started. But Bishop and that storyline felt extremely out of character to me. Even if he thought, that hope would somehow ensure a horrible future, which doesn't make sense really with what we knew in the past about Bishop's future. Anyway, I don't, I don't need to bitch about that right now. I would have when it came out <laughs> a lot. That was a good story. I thought Bishop's part was miswritten and completely out of character. So I'm glad to see that he's just kind of Bishop again. Whatever happened to his arm, whatever he, he came from the future again. But Puck takes him out with a giant punch. And Spiral says she's a failure. Betsy wants to fight her, throws her a sword, but she won't fight. So Betsy is tempted to kill her, but Storm stops her. And Betsy says, I wasn't going to. And they, <laughs> Storm and Psylocke give a, each other a hug. And Puck says, 
I'm ten feet of ass kicking in a four foot body as he stands over Bishop, flexing his muscle. I've got whiskey for blood and veins in my teeth. Big guy never stood a chance against one punch puck. And Silox says, We should have left him in the bar. I blame Logan. And Storm's like, What about Logan? And that's where we get our Wolverine cameo. He's, in, he's at the school for Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. He's in his office, this time in a flannel and a thermal, as opposed to the suit and tie from last time in issue number one of this book. He's on his iPad. He sees a mutant, or sees an article about mutants in downtown LA, and it shows a picture of, of Puck. And Wolverine's like, oh, hell no. Then we see Jenny. Now she's talking. All right, and this is where the letter did a great job. So now she's talking in the letter, the font, that was the font of the owl inside Bishop's head. So apparently whatever was in Bishop is now in Jenny. And it, it talks about how they waited a long time to join together, but now they are. And she goes into a bar and gets a drink. The bartender's like, what are you, 12? But she takes him over and gets a drink anyway. <laughs> So anyway, uh, that's that. It was a right, visually stunning book. Just fantastic. I cannot praise enough how good this book looks. Between Garney and Hannah and Gracia. And Pennant does an awesome job on the letters. The story? Um, it's good. See where it goes. See what they actually do with Bishop. And joining the, it's kind of a this is the this arc so far has been the this is how the team got together story, which works on some levels. But it was alright. The Wolverine cameo was funny, but really not much to it. So I'm gonna give Uncanny X Force number four two out of three claws. This is strong too, because the art's great and the story is decent so far. The dialogue is good. Just the overall plot. Uh, I just kind of have to see where it goes. Anyway, Uncanny X-Force number four, two out of three claws. All right, that's it. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, Denise, for coming back and helping out. No problem. All right, so um, before we get to all the... Oh, no, I'll do the obligatory stuff first. So uh, don't forget to um, send email some comments snickcast at yahoo.com of course leave an iTunes review if you want to do that uh, if you want to read show notes and stuff you can go to the website at snickcast.podbean.com our Twitter is at snickcast and of course we're on Facebook uh, I still need some more likes still need about oh, 19 more to get to where I can read all the stats <laughs> so that's uh, facebook.com slash Snit podcast fan page. And we know y'all are out there. Yeah, so just like the page. It'll be fun. Just, just stop, hit pause, hit go pause. to your Facebook. Like it. Like it. You can search us by Snicked. Maybe to come up at the, at the top there, or you can use the whole URL. But if you like the page and want to maybe leave a, leave a comment, you might get it read on an episode like right now. Matthew Guy left a comment a few days ago, and also uh, Pat Gunter left a comment today that I will, but it pertains to the flashback episode, so I will actually discuss his comment when me, when Cameron and I record next for Wolverine Year 3. But we have a comment from Matthew Guy from a few days ago, and it says this. 
I read Wolverine number one and two and give both a four out of five stars. The art is top notch while the story is going on a measured approach. Not quite enough to keep me happy, just content. I enjoy the he, she said thoughts on the new series from the both of you. I'm a recent convert to Wolverine reading Claremont X-Men stories from the relaunch. To around 175 and a few X events here and there, plus the Miller miniseries and B.W. Smith Weapon X. If you guys do a Walking Dead podcast, let me know and I would be interested in listening to it. A question you had earlier, do you like digital or paper comics? I prefer the paper comics. Maybe it's me reading comics for 30 years, but I only care for digital unless I can't get my hands on the actual comics. Prime example, this is my mom bought me a legal DVD. No, I, I swear that. He said illegal, not illegal. A legal DVD of Amazing Spider-Man comics from his first appearance through Amazing Spider-Man 1 to the Road of Civil War issues plus annuals. And he got that back when Spider-Man 3 was in the theaters in PDF format on a single disc. Keep up the great work. So I already, I commented, left actually a pretty lengthy comment on Facebook. I wanted to touch on a couple of things on the podcast. First of all, Thanks again, Matthew, for leaving the comment. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for the kind words about the podcast. And um, I think a small trend I've noticed, I think people enjoy the uh, the ones where I have co-hosts more than the solo ones. And hey, No, they just like your hot co-hosts. Well, that too. The camera ones get a lot of hits too. But you know what? To be honest, I like recording them better when I'm not by myself. So I don't blame y'all for that. <laughs> you don't feel like you're talking to yourself? Right, right. It's just me in the comics. I feel like I'm the stereotypical like comic book reader on TV that lives in his mom's basement <laughs> making my little podcast. Just so everyone knows, he doesn't live in his mom's basement. No, he actually no. owns his own house. Yes. When it's full of comic books. <laughs> but Shh, all, we weren't going to tell people but that part. also a drum set and guitars. So that, that balances out, right? Right. Um, so it sounds like he pretty much he agrees with me. A little bit more favorable than you on the, on the first two issues that we'll in. So he gave four out of five. I think I gave three out of three and two out of three, I think. And yes. I actually don't remember what I gave number two. It may have been three. I don't remember. No, you gave number two, too. Okay. Because I gave number two, one. it was a strong two, two. All right, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so it sounds like he's digging. And definitely, I definitely agree that the story's moving along kind of slow, especially in this issue. I'd be interested to know what, what Matthew thought of this one, if he still gives it four out of five. I feel like it definitely took a small step down. But it sounds like he enjoys our banter, so we'll try to keep a, keep a banterific podcast whenever Denise is on. Banterific. All right. Uh, he knows his Wolverine history. Um, as far as the Walking Dead thing, we okay. both... Okay, yes, yes, please, please. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we both really enjoy the show. I actually went out after he said this, so I was curious to look and see what other podcasts were were doing this, if any. You know, part of the reason I chose to do a Wolverine-specific podcast versus, like, an X-Men podcast is, A, Wolverine's my favorite character. But also, B, there's several, and at least two or three really good ones, of podcasts that cover the X-Men in general. You know, you have the Uncanny X cast, which rarely comes out, but when it does, it's really good and it's current. Then you have the Danger Room podcast, which started at X-Men 1 and, and does a really good job with all the old stuff. And I couldn't find at all, actually, a Wolverine-specific podcast. That's part of the reason I chose 
that specific idea when I started the podcast was to do focus exclusively kind of on Wolverine because I had a passion about it and nobody else was doing it. So I could kind of cover out my own niche. So I went to look at Walking Dead stuff and um, there's a bunch of podcasts out there, but most of them focus on the TV show. And the ones that do, at least in their descriptions, talk about the comic book, talk about comparing the two. So I didn't really see one that was just about the comic. And see, that's what I really and if, want. And if we were going to do it, that's what we would do. I don't, I, I kind I don't of know if I have a, time for it. A ni- well, okay. So I was kind of viewing it as it would be a 90-10 split where it's 90% about the comic book and 10%, you know, yes, where we would draw conclusions from the show or say, if you remember from the show, blah, blah, blah. Oh, right, right. We do some small comparisons. But. Right. But I would love love to do it and I know you don't have time to do it right now it doesn't mean right we have time later but um, maybe it's one of those things where I do it and you're my co-host yeah I, we definitely do that but you gotta get the comics for me right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess really just it'll come down to cause I don't cause we talked about doing the X-Men animated series so Oh, yeah. If we could only do one of the two, I need some help vote-wise. Which would you rather hear first? Obviously, the cartoon one would be limited because there's only so many episodes. Whereas Walking Dead is still going. And, I mean, it takes a year plus to catch up anyway. Because it has 100 and something It has 110. Yeah. But who's counting? Right. So, anyway, if you're listening... And you want to hear either of those, then why don't you let us know which one you'd like to hear first. And I will consider it. I am kind of pushing it to get this podcast in as it is. But, you know, if I feel like we can add another one that's not too hard on my schedule, I would, I'd think about it. So let me know um, how interested you are and which one you would rather hear. And uh, you can put that on Facebook, Twitter, the website, wherever you want to do it. Anyway, uh, let's see. Is there anything else in that comment I needed to hit? I think you covered everything. Yeah, and I think what I if I didn't talk about it here, I talked about it on the on the post already. So anyway, thanks again, Matthew, for uh, for making the post. I that's kind of what I want from the Facebook page is not just people to talk about how good the podcast is, but but to do like conversation starters like that and see an if, open forum. Yeah, and if. You know, there are 40 or 50 people on the page and you can all just jump on this comment and have a nice conversation and community about Wolverine. And I, that's that's what I would eventually like to see the Facebook page become. I know this is only episode 30. I've still got a ways to go to keep building like a more active fan base. But I know you're out there at least casually. So I'd like to kind of slowly convert more of you to uh, to being more involved. Not, not Like I said before, it's not about making me feel cool about the podcast. I just want other people to talk about Wolverine too. And that's the easiest way to do it. And we all know you're at work right now with your headphones plugged in. So <laughs> just hit pause, look right. over your shoulder, make sure the boss isn't looking, go to facebook.com and like us. That's right. All right. Well, no more begging for tonight. I'll do it next episode. <laughs> on bended knee. Right. And down on bended knee. That's your boy's demand impersonation impersonation for the night. Yeah, I think it's time to go to bed. All right. Well, I'll see you all next time. Hugs Hugs and and snicks. Bye. 
Then he says, Start reading. Start reading. No, shit. <laughs> he says, Start reading my mind, lady. Start. <laughs> shit. Start reading my mind, lady. No. Start, start reading my mind, lady. Where'd my old man voice go? Shit! Start reading, start reading my mind. Start reading, start reading my mind, lady. Stop, start. I'm an old, I'm an old man. Start reading my mind, lady. Start that cat, man. Stop. Stop or my mom will shoot. Fuck. Stop. Stop reading my mind, lady. Damn it. Stop reading my mind, lady. Stop reading my mind, lady. Say stop. Stop reading my mind, lady. Stop. Stop reading my mind, lady. Well, hell. The Wolverine says, Stop reading my mind, lady. Stop reading my mind. Wasting time. This is stupid. Start reading. Start reading my mind. Start. Start reading my mind, lady. Start reading my mind, lady. Stop. Stop reading my mind. Stop. Stop. Stop reading my mind, lady. Stop reading. Stop reading my mind, lady. Stop reading my mind. Stop. In the name of love. Stop. Stop reading. Stop reading my mind. I'm an old man. I'm an old man. Stop reading my mind. Stop reading. Stop reading my mind, lady. Stop reading my mind, lady.